It's something for nothing. The Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, what's going on? Oh boy, a whole lot is going on, Steve. Yeah, we're talking about Power Windows. This is exciting. Exactly. We're smack dab in the middle of it. And you know, on the last episode, we talked to Ryan and to Nathan, and we mentioned a few times that we didn't listen to the first two episodes to prepare for these episodes. That's right. But since then, I've listened to the first two episodes. Oh no. And? Yeah, I don't think they're great. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the consensus. I think I've told you this before, but if you look at our numbers, the number of people who who carry on from episode one to episode two has been consistently about 60% month to month. Somebody listens to episode one and says, no thanks, and then 60% carry on to the next one. And then they they seem to stick around. It's okay. It's all right. Yeah, it's fine. It shows growth, right? Right. But I, I wish those people would come back, those 40 people who weren't interested. I think the show's gotten a little bit better. I think so too. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are at The Rushcast. Email Jerry, TheRushcast at gmail.com. Subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast app. And Lex did the bass intro. He's fantastic. Marathon. Exciting, right? Yes, of course. It's a great song. So, Jerry, you got an email for us to get us started? I do. This is from Adam. What's up, Adam? He says, hello, gents. Long-time listener since episode five or so, and have since listened to all of the others, and a big fan of the podcast, but hadn't found the occasion to write up until this point. I ended up with enough stuff from recent episodes that it was going to bug me if I didn't send it along. So this might be a little long. It's got five points. That's okay. Number one, I enjoyed the most recent covers podcast quite a bit, which was all the more surprising since you hit on some of my favorite and goofiest covers in episode 71 to an eerie extent. Katie Cole, Fleesh, Richard Cheese, Heavyweights Brass Band. The minute you started talking about cover band names, though, I got three different names that Jerry would love. Oh, cool. The 7,000 Stairs. Oh, that's good. The Sacred Mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and China Sang to Me. <laughs> <laughs> the last of those, at least, would have to be a Mandarin language Rush cover band. Okay. Number two, you regularly tell us that you're just about out of ideas. Do we say that a lot? Uh, we may have said it once or twice. We're really not out of ideas. We're just messing around. <laughs> yeah. you, regularly, you regularly tell us that you're just about out of ideas, but I am enjoying the mix of interviews from within the Hardcore Rush community. The more professional interviews, for example, Martin, Popoff, and Eddie Trunk. And I'm not sure what he means by professional interviews, but we'll let it slide. And the Steve and Jerry content. Ooh. Steve and Jerry content. I do find it amusing that the week after Eddie Trunk talks defensively about not being as engaged with the band during and after signals or so, you have Martin Popoff saying this is unambiguously the correct take. I love much of the music during this period, but people will like what they like. Number three, speaking of which, the top 10 lists were fun. Between the six of you, it was a good reminder that all of us, except Jerry, whose list was eminently canonical, have quirky relationships with the band that leave us with our own particular favorites. Eminently canonical. Boy, is that an insult? That sounds like boring to me. <laughs> I think that's just too, that's two 50 cent words for boring. Um, number four, in episode 87, Steve seems to have some kind of issue with the word bowl. <laughs> <laughs> this reminded me of the NBA legend, Manute Bowl's son. You know what Manute Bowl's son's name is? No. Bowl, bowl. Oh. 
B-O-L-B-O-L. Okay. He's currently plying his trade, albeit behind MVP candidate Nikolo Jokic. Okay. For the Denver Nuggets. Didn't know that. And number five, while discussing Faithless in episode 83, you hit on the temple and marketplace lyric as an allusion to Jesus driving the money changers from the temple. While the story does show up in the books of Mark, Luke, and John, it is most often quoted from the book of Matthew, which begins the story with the verse 21, 12. Oh, wow. Book 21, line 12. And I looked it up. In the King James Version, the story does begin in book 21, line 12. Wow. He says, this seems rather enough. Thanks again for bringing together a great community of fans and giving us a way to continue to enjoy and celebrate the music that we love. Adam. Thanks, Adam. That was great. Glad you found us. Glad you continue to listen. I was ready to bust him with the 2112 thing. I'm like, there's no way. There's just no way that it's in there. But KJV, man, King James Version comes to the rescue every time. There you go. Well, why don't we continue with our journey through Power Windows, Jar? Track three on Power Windows is Manhattan Project. Imagine the time when it all began In the dying days of a war A weapon that would settle the score Whoever found it first Would be sure to do their worst We always had So, Jared, to help us talk about Manhattan Project today, we'd like to welcome back a guest from episode 46 of our podcast, John Petuto, creator of CygnusX1.net. John, welcome back to the Rush Fancast. Guys, it's a pleasure to be back. Hope you're all doing well. We're doing great. And before we get started talking about Manhattan Project, why don't you tell us your thoughts on Power Windows in general? What are your feelings on this record? Well, you know, it's... It's an interesting album from my perspective because back in the day, Grace Under Pressure was the album that really solidified my fanship with Rush. Um, I had been listening to Rush with my brother since the time of roughly moving pictures. But when Grace Under Pressure came out, it, it just spoke to me on a different level. And that's what, again, really cemented my appreciation for Rush. So Power Windows coming out was going to be really the first new Rush album for me. And it just really resonated on a different level. I mean, for me, Grace Under Pressure was something that I guess I considered really a collection of songs that I guess you might say it was a concept album. It's not necessarily seen as a concept album, but I felt Grace Under Pressure was a concept album because there was a lot of familiarity and a lot of commonality between the songs and the lyrics. When you get to Power Windows, it was almost like a, a breath of fresh air because with Grace Under Pressure being such a heavy album, Power Windows really just stepped it up and it was really something that I, I enjoyed listening to. Each song was almost a story in and of itself. You know, the lyrics, I thought... Neil took it to another level and the music and just what 
Alex Getty and Neil did from, uh, you know, playing their respective instruments just was, you know, uh, on another level. And then the introduction or the inclusion of keyboards, which I never minded, uh, I just saw it blended very well with the entire album. So it was a great album to listen to. And even to this day, so many, many years later, when I revisit Power Windows, I hear something new for the first time in a lot of these songs, or at least perhaps I forgot about it. And so it's like a, a reintroduction to a lot of these songs. So definitely enjoyable album. And um, I actually made a lot of friends during the Power Windows tour because it turned out to be their first album that they really got into with Rush and still speak to a lot of people who I, I met during the Power Windows tour. So, you know, it really just resonates with me and continues to do so for a lot of different reasons. Now, John, do you think uh, like I do, that this is where Neil really started to explore his more personal writing for songs. Uh, not that these songs are, you know, about him, but more about people as opposed to ideas. I think so. And I think there was a, a level of maturity that Neil reached with these lyrics. I mean, let's face it, in the past, while everyone enjoyed it, I think there was a bit of a stigma on Rush, maybe being more science fiction and fantasy based with their lyrics and their songwriting, even though that's not entirely true. But here, I think it became a little more topical and I think it did resonate more with uh, maybe perhaps a human condition. Um, so, yeah, I completely agree. I think he definitely matured and changed his approach uh, to, you know, from a song writing perspective. Now we like to start our conversations about songs with quotes from the band. So I have a couple here. First one is from Neil. I wanted the delivery to be like punctuation and the chorus had to be more passionate and more rhythmically active. It was hard to express exactly how I wanted it. The first time we worked on the music, they had phrased the lyrics in a very slow manner and I had to protest. The phrasing of the line was two short lines, then a long line, and then two short lines and a long line. There were internal rhymes and internal relationships among the words and within the delivery that had to remain intact for it to make sense at all. It was so carefully crafted that it couldn't be delivered just any old way. I thought that was an interesting quote. It is, but I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Neil, he was the consummate professional and, and, I think he obviously took his lyric writing incredibly seriously and he wanted to make sure that it was projected the way I guess he thought about it as he took pen to paper, right? And I do recall reading numerous times and, and listening to interviews how Getty and Neil would kind of go back and forth on how he would sing a lyric and, and how they would work collaboratively to maybe tweak a lyric here and tweak a lyric there so that it was easier for, for Getty to sing. But, you know, at the end of the day, Neil, I'm sure, was very passionate about what he wrote and he want, how he wanted it reflected in the end. I guess he's talking about, so as I see the lyrics in front of me, it's written like this. I'm going to read them as, as they're written in sentences. Imagine a time when it all began in the dying days of a war, a weapon that would settle the score. But that's not how Getty sings it. Right? He sings it, imagine a time when it all began in the dying days of a war, a weapon that would settle the score. So he, he does break it up so that time and began and war and score and the lines. Right. So that, that is very interesting. Yeah. And it, and it works so well. I mean, Getty's singing on this song, just the raw emotion of his voice on this song just brings out everything in it for me. I agree. And Getty didn't have to oversing the song by any stretch, right? He just sang it and almost portrayed it and tried to get the emotions out of each line. You know, 
hitting each point. I think that's why they imagine a time when it all began. I mean, certain points to really drive the fact of what he's trying to, you know, resonate with the lyrics and, and paint that picture that obviously Neil did so well. Right. When I hear this song, when I hear the beginning, imagine a time when it all began. My daughter and I uh, recently watched um, Henry V, Shakespeare play. She's taking Shakespeare classes. Mm -hmm. And the beginning of that play is we have the chorus standing on stage telling everyone, you know, this is not a battlefield. This is not, <laughs> this is, this is not the, you know, the big war that we're about to portray, but you know, use your imagination. This little stage is the countryside of wherever. And when I hear imagine a time where it all began, that's what I'm thinking of. She's trying to take us out of the fact that, yeah, this is just a song, but let's imagine what it was like back then. Absolutely. And I think that all Rush fans really have to imagine this time because Getty, Alex, and Neil weren't really old enough to remember this time in World War II and, and most Rush fans the same. So they're really bringing us back to this moment in time and it, it really is fantastic. Yeah. And he captures the tension of the moment in time, you know, how much right. fell on the shoulders of so few people in this moment. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. They were trying to solve the issue of winning the war. And that section of World War II has always been of great interest to me. So when I saw that Rush put together this this song, and obviously Neil wrote the lyrics, I, it just, and for other reasons, it was just something that I really, really appreciated. And it, I, it's just hard to imagine, especially today, what these people were you know facing trying to develop something that had never been developed before something of such awesome power but then also the philosophical question of what they were building would be used at such a destructive level i mean it's interesting from the scientific standpoint and that's what i've always been drawn to the manhattan project for but what it was ultimately used for and what it meant for the future of the world you know just uh it's kind of scary and i, I like how neil really tried to see both sides of the equation with the song now the second verse imagine a man where it all began a scientist pacing the floor in each nation always eager to explore to build the best big stick to turn the winning trick and this next line is the one that has the most impact for me but this was something more that line neil says so much in just five words right there. This was something more. Completely agree. Yeah, and he brings it back to, again, a person or people, right? This isn't just some abstract concept of a weapon. This is about people developing a weapon, pacing the floor. You know, they're pacing the floor, but they could be pacing the floor trying to solve the, the riddle of how to create this weapon or they could be pacing the floor wondering whether or not they should even tr attempt to create such a weapon considering what people have always done you know to build the best big stick to turn the winning trick they've always built weapons and they've always used them but one of the big questions was if we build this weapon should we even use it like what are we going to unleash on the world if we do this Exactly. This was next level weapon, right? This is, you know, going to pale and every, every other weapon before it would pale in comparison to what they were trying to build here. So, and I think they, they realized that certainly the scientists did. And I think Neil, again, to your point, captured it perfectly with that five words, but this was something more. Yeah. I think Albert Einstein was upset at the idea of 
atomic weapons back then because they relied in part on one of his more famous theorems, I suppose, right? E equals MC squared. That if you can crack open an atom, you know, you will unleash this ungodly amount of power. And he was not happy with that, the application of his work. Absolutely. I'd like to think a lot of the scientists on this project were probably of, of the same opinion as well, because uh, I don't know if you guys have studied much about how this happened, but a lot of the scientists weren't even aware of what they were building. They were all compartmentalized to the point where they were working on one specific item, but they didn't know what the end game was, so to speak. So you got to wonder how these scientists reacted once they learned what they truly were working on and, uh, you know, obviously the ramifications of it. Yeah. So what are your guys' thoughts on Getty's keyboard work on this song? Getty, you know, in the early 80s was just learning keyboards, and here I think he he really knocks it out of the park. I would agree with that. And yet it was very subtle, too, in some areas, but it lent itself perfectly to the song. I think the keyboards were an absolute necessity here, as they were in a lot of songs on Power Windows. They were a little sparse, right? He isn't going crazy. It isn't like... um grand designs, the keyboard's grand designs are, you know, a little busy. He doesn't really do that here. Everything here is subtle. And when we get to the chorus, this song really builds to a crescendo mm. as we're getting closer and closer to the bomb dropping. I like the first line, the big bang took and shook the world because the big bang, you know, like splitting an atom is akin to the birth of the universe. Exactly. And so the fact that it says, you know, the Big Bang took and shook the world lets us know what kind of forces are at play here inside this, this little, was it, was it Fat Man? Was that the first one? Fat Man and Little Boy, yeah, right. Yeah. And then Shot Down the Rising Sun, of course, refers to Japan. Mm-hmm. I've always felt that one line really just brought the message home and it was you know, a simple line, it clearly points out and it reminds you where we dropped the bomb, but it's still a very powerful line. You know, shot down the rising sun. Right. Which again is something, I mean, if you think about it on a, on a different level, right? Of course, it's referring, like Steve said, to, to Japan, but it's also could be shooting down the actual rising sun. I mean, if you mm-hmm. had enough of these things, it would call, it would cause some serious atmospheric disturbance, fallout and stuff like that. So it could actually shoot down a rising sun in True. a different way. And of course the line at the end of the verse, the hopeful depend on a world without end, <laughs> whatever the hopeless <laughs> may say. <laughs> right. That's just classic Neil, right? Always has to twist something around, right? That's why he was the best at what he did. Right. Big shots. Try to hold it back. Fools try to wish it away. Because once, once it's here, man, once Pandora's box is open, it's not going back into the box. Exactly. There's no turning back. There's no way to close Pandora's box. It's been released, and you know the world has fundamentally changed. Yep. And what are your thoughts on the samples in this song? There are a lot of samples that Getty fires, especially live, that really add emphasis in the right places on this song, and it's just amazing. Yeah, I think it creates the right atmosphere for the song and for obviously the, the nature of the lyrics. So again, it just, on so many levels, how they produce this song and the production values behind it, it really just plays perfectly to what Neil was trying to, uh, you know, basically bring out with these lyrics. And Alex's guitar solo, I mean, one of his best, I think. You always say that, Steve, but it's always true, isn't it? I know, but it's true. <laughs> 
Every other word out of Steve's mouth is, is Alex's guitar solo. One of his best. One of his best. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Coming out of the chorus and into the the next verse is another one of those rush moments for me. After Getty says whatever the hopeless may say, and then it goes right back into the verse, just comes to a complete stop there and imagine a place, you know? Yeah. I just right. I just love those little moments. And again, that begin if we're beginning there, imagine a place echoes the beginning of the song, you know, it's setting us up again. Now you've imagined the time at the end of a war where people are trying to end the war. Now imagine a place. And it isn't where you think it might be, right? This is isn't in Japan. This isn't um Hiroshima. This is somewhere in the desert where all of these bright boys and their toy and their biggest toys are gathered together to watch it work for the first time. And then another powerful line, more than they bargained for, again, to the point that a lot of scientists didn't even know what they were working on until it was effectively too late. Right. Yeah. And then we get to the pilot more than he bargained yeah. for too. This guy had no idea what he was about to do. Now, John, I'm sure you've, I've seen, you, I'm sure you've seen those declassified films of the first detonations of the bomb. Yes. Where they set up houses, people inside the houses and little fake trees and things like that. And this thing goes off and everything is flattened. And the people there were like, they didn't even know how bad it was going to be. And the gigantic plume, they were like, wow, I can't believe that just happened. And then somebody was like, we should use this right away. <laughs> <laughs> scary, isn't it? Totally scary. Uh, we can't appreciate what this country went through with World War II, yeah. at least directly, but still, you know, uh, to your point, I don't think even they knew what they were going to get. They were even concerned that they might ignite the atmosphere, but right. the, the awesome power of that bomb, which, you know, was small compared to what we've been able to do since then, unfortunately, is just mind-boggling. Yeah, it's, it's a real-world trolley problem, and they had... Absolutely. They, they just, you know, I don't know, redirected that trolley i guess where they needed it to go and this song just continues to build i mentioned that the last verse imagine a man where it all began the pilot of enola gay flying out of the shockwave and getty's voice is just yeah soaring getting more and more emotion as we go here right absolutely all the powers that be in the course of history would be changed forevermore evermore mm-hmm. yeah i mean what the, the perfect way to end uh, a lyric in a song. I mean, just that's the punctuation mark on the entire song right there. Absolutely. Yeah. And and then we get into this just crazy part with all three of them just jamming again. And it's fantastic. And then I love how it ends with the simple military drumming that Neil does. That's how it began. That's how mm-hmm. it ends. Great book ends. I have an idea of my idea of what that, what that means. What do you think that means, John? Neil's um, militaristic drumming there? At the beginning and the end. You know, I, I always envision it because of the, the content of the song, right? Because they're talking about war here. And uh, I just felt that that's what he was kind of trying to reflect to some degree. But, you know, maybe it had a deeper meaning. What do you think? I always thought it just spoke to the cyclical nature of war and destruction. It starts mm-hmm. off a certain way, you know, a, a quiet military drumming quiet and then we get into the story about this awful awful bomb and then it ends the same way with the quiet military drumming it's almost like you could keep it on a loop and you may not even notice that the song ever ended that's really interesting 
you got a solid point there. And I don't think we can discuss Manhattan Project without discussing how amazing it was live. Uh, oh, absolutely. They knocked it out of the park again with on the Clockwork Angels tour when they played mm. this with the string section. It was yeah. incredible. Further cemented my love for the song. I was so thrilled when they brought it back, you know, for Clockwork Angels tour and, and knowing that the string ensemble behind them would be supporting them on the song. It just, it was magical hearing that. Yeah, it was. So anything else on Manhattan Project, guys, before we wrap this up? I've always felt that what Neil has done, when he really excels is when he's able to encapsulate a story within one song. Uh, I always kind of look back to Red Barchetta as well, because it's just so precise and it paints such a vivid picture and Manhattan Project does the exact same thing. So again, just why it's one of my favorite songs. And I think it's probably the shining spot out of Power Windows, although almost every song is on that one, but this one really stands out for me. Yeah, I picked it as my number 10 Rush song of all time. Very nice. No argument there. I've always been impressed by the, the stories that I heard about how many books that Neil read in order to write this song. <laughs> like he wanted to get just a lot of background on what people were thinking and doing during this time. It doesn't show up in the song exactly. You know what I mean? He's not quoting books or something like that, but you could definitely tell that he understood yes. the gravity of the situation in the three sections. You know what I mean? And he conveyed that gravity in so few words after reading thousands and thousands and thousands of words about it. Yeah. And isn't that just, Neil, you know, to yeah. a T, he, he, he absorbs all this information and so succinctly produces a song of what, maybe a hundred words here that again, conveys a much bigger story, a much bigger message. And I tell you, only Neil could do it. Yeah. What a great filter, this information. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us today on the Rush Fancast and talking to us about Manhattan Project. Awesome. Thank you so much. Guys, always a pleasure. Happy to return anytime you'd like to hear from me. Great. Make sure you check out John's website, CygnusX1.net. John, take it easy. Take care, guys. Have a good one. All right, see ya. And Jared, the next track on Power Windows is Marathon. So, Jared, to help us talk about Marathon, we are so happy to welcome back a guest from episode 58 of our podcast, Jared, not too long ago. 
Derek Bacharach, creator of the first Rush fanzine. Welcome back to the Rush Fancast. Thank you so much. I forgot that I am actually episode 50. I have to remember that so I can just identify myself that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh my gosh, you'd have a t-shirt made up. <laughs> Ask me about episode 50. What was it, Steve? Episode 58. Yeah. Ask me about episode 58. That's what you're going to get. That's right. Soon. So Derek, before <laughs> we get into Marathon, why don't you tell us about your relationship with Power Windows in general? What are your thoughts on the album? Oh, it, it, I just... When you say that, I go right back to my parents' car. I had a driver's license at that time. It's my senior year in high school, and I'm in the sh- I'm in the parking lot of the local mall I used to live near, and I bought both the record and the cassette of Power Windows. I know CDs were out, but I don't think it was available yet for you know for Power Windows at the time, and just the experience of opening up the album was such a great experience just sitting there in the car i haven't heard it yet i don't want i don't want to do it till i get home and just looking at the sleeve looking at the three of them in the pictures and looking just just really digesting the the artwork and it was just a such a wonderful experience and that really brings back so many memories for me for every album what that process is like and a lot of other albums reminds me of that but this one definitely was something i look forward to and uh and planning to do it this way it's funny you bought the album and the tape because you were probably like us you wanted the album for home and the tape for the car well actually i didn't have a record player but i wanted it that big because i was not <laughs> under the assumption the 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 lyrics we printed on the cassette but they were, and I didn't care. I still wanted the record. I yeah. wanted the big picture. I didn't want to have to squint to, to read the lyrics and everything. Even back then, they were really printed so cruelly small. Right. So, Derek, we like to start out our song discussions with a quote. And this one I found on Neil Peart's official website. It's a little bit long, so bear with me. Neil was talking about how Jack London had been on his mind around that time. And he was thinking about his brave credo. I would rather be ashes than dust. I would rather that my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze than that it should be stifled by dry rot. I would rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow, than a sleepy and permanent planet. The proper function of man is to live. I shall not waste my days trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. And Neil says that is an inspiring vision especially resonating with the thought, I shall not waste my days trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. And then later, he contrasts Jack London's credo with one espoused by Ernest Hemingway, who quoted a motto from a statue of one of Napoleon's generals, first one must last, or the shorter version I prefer, at first to last, which was the inspiration for the Rush song, Marathon. Your thoughts, gentlemen. Wow. Those are great quotes. And you can see where he takes that right into marathon. But it's it's so cool how Neil can really resonate with the quote from someone from de- who lived lived what a hundred years ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not, you know, so long ago, and it really resonates with him. It's amazing when it comes to him being so well read and delving into this and realizing that this really it really, it, it matters to him. And you can see how that goes in, in this song. And it's great that you hear that this is the kind of stuff that inspired him to write a song like this. 
Yeah, I wish everyone listening could have seen my face while you're reading that Jack London quote because I had never heard that before, and I was like, "Oh God, that's so Raven." You know what I mean? That's yeah. so Neil that he would he would like be drawn to that quote. But also, you know, interesting that he would, you know, he gets inspiration from these people in the past, and that's what Rush fans do. Rush fans are getting inspiration from him, and hopefully, that inspiration will pass from us to other people as well. Yes, absolutely. So this song is not simply about running. I mean, it could be, but I think this song is about having the will to stick with and see to the finish, whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, life, life in general, whatever yeah. your life's work is. Agree. Have either one of you, are you, either one of you into running? No. Yeah, no. <laughs> or you know, the whole idea about a marathon and everything. I'm not much of a runner myself, but um, there's a lot of stuff here that, kind of goes along with it. You know, um, I've never ran a marathon. My wife has. And um, I think the only thing that I would want to add to this song that goes along with the marathon is hitting a wall. I don't mm. know if you know, if you guys about know about this, mm -hmm. it's like, it's, you know, everyone's got their own mile. They know when they're going to hit it, where it's like, oh, they just run out of gas. Right. And it's the, where you really need to say, okay, I know I hit a wall, but I can keep going, even if it means walking. And yeah. my wife hit her, hit her wall, I think maybe mile 20 or 22. And this is brutal, but you just got to get through it before you get back into it. And um, I don't know, maybe it might apply to one of the later stanzas in, in this song, but that's something that's, um, that goes along with it. It's hard to do 26.2 miles nonstop. I mean, some people can, of course, but you know, all the ways that you go through it, I think there is that inevitable wall that's going to happen somewhere down the, down, you know, deep into it. Well, I mean, it could also apply to just about anything you're doing. You know what I mean? Like any problem solving activity, whether it's, you know, figuring out how to run 10 more miles or figuring out how to finish this book or how to finish this song. Some, at some point you're going to hit a place where you're just like, I don't know where to go from here. And the only where yeah. to, only place to go is just keep going until you find out where that place is again. Right. And if you're discouraged, just go to the lyrics of marathon. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and speaking of that, why don't we go through them and discuss them line by line? Because they're, they're fantastic. It's not how fast you can go. The force goes into the flow. If you pick up the beat, you can forget about the heat. Yeah. Thoughts, Jerry? Well, it's not how fast you can go, you know, because everybody, if we're going to, I mean, I guess we're just going to stick with the, with the, the marathon aspect of it, but you know, not everybody's going to win the marathon, but finishing a marathon is, is the real goal, right? Not necessarily mm -hmm. winning. Yeah. It's a major accomplishment. It is. I mean, you're often in life playing against yourself mm -hmm. in things that you do. You know, can you do whatever you're doing better than you did the last time? Or can you even finish the thing that you're doing? Because that itself is a goal, much like finishing uh, a marathon. So you really can't, you know, put yourself up against other people, right? It's not how fast you're going. It's whether or not you've got the force behind what you're doing. Absolutely. And Getty's baseline on this song is just iconic. And you can either picture somebody running along with this baseline or whatever their personal marathon is getting through it and completing it. The baseline just drives the song. When it comes to the music, it was an interesting thing how it begins because when it, when it starts out, Neil hits that floor, Tom, boom once mm -hmm. then 
twice, boom, boom, then dun, dun, dun. It feels as if, is he, t- is, I wonder if that's like the idea of when someone starts in a marathon, taking just one step, then two steps and three steps. And to add to that, what I thought when Neil was doing, you know, cause I know he's, he's compositional. We kind of know that I'm wondering what the high hat work that he does on it. I, I, it was that kind of rhythm. I mean, maybe I'm like stretching this out a little bit, but is that like, you know, so like when someone's breathing, breathe mm-hmm. in, you know, the high hat change position of the high hat breathes out. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm just kind of thinking like that way. Yeah, he definitely, he's also just driving the, um, the bass drum the whole time keeping that steady, 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 mm-hmm. steady kind of beat. Which is kind of like you got to be steady for this, for a marathon. Right. Also has, uh, I, I guess, aspects of like dance music. You know, dance music always has just that pulsing, pulsing, mm-hmm. pulsing beat this to yeah. make you, you know, interested in dancing or just to keep you engaged in whatever is happening around you. And Alex is just bending the strings of his guitar throughout this whole thing in just the right spots. I mean fantastic how he just fills the space in between neil and getty yeah so we get into i guess is this bridge i guess more than just survival more than just a flash more than just a dotted line and then getty saying more than just a dash you know, he, he <laughs> nails that dash right can i just take a step one back before when it comes to you forget you can forget about the heat mm-hmm. sure the word heat here you know, it's easy to say, okay, I don't know if you guys know this when it comes to heats, it's not just reference to weather, but also reference to running Oh, true. in terms of a, a set of runners, like what heat, like, you know, for example, like an track meet, mm-hmm. a high school track meet, there could be a bunch of people who are doing the sprints. Uh, and one group is they're called heats, heat number one, heat number two, heat number three. And maybe there's a reference to um, you can forget about the heat, meaning for, as I think we're referencing here, forget about the competition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that more than just a dash line, which I was referring to, it's just another one of those rush moments where the song just kicks in right there. And I love, love those rush moments in every song. Yeah. What do you think dotted lines about? I was wondering about that. I was looking at the four of them saying, okay, this is about dash and flash might mean relates to time, you know, something temporary. It's more than just doing this like a sprint and it's more than just survival to get through, but dotted line. I always thought the dotted line was since marathons are running the streets, that it would just be like the the line in the, in the road. That's exactly what I was thinking. Okay. All right. I was trying to read more into it like that, I guess. And then just more than just a dash, you know, I guess dots and dashes would be Morse code, but true. I think he's talking about, you know, more than just a, a dash or a sprint. Mm-hmm. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Yes. Love the double meaning there. It's a test of ultimate will, the heartbreak climb uphill. Got to pick up the pace if you want to stay in the race. And again, it could be a metaphorical race. Mm-hmm. Or it could be, you know, when it comes to these lyrics, I was thinking it feels, and I think a lot of things with Neil, it's, it's really feels autobiographical. I feel as if this is Neil's way of saying, Hey, you know what? We're in here for the long haul. And this is our work ethic. This is what we're doing. And we're not in it to, and this is part of what we're doing here. We might experience some moments. And I think I'll reference here later on in terms of glory, but in terms of being distracted by 
things are working out for us, but we still got to stay focused on the race mm-hmm. and focusing on what we want to do here in terms of the career of being musicians in a successful rock band. Yeah. And that has a lot to do with the next lines too, mm-hmm. which is more than blind ambition, more than simple greed, more than a finish line must feed this burning need in yeah. the long run. Yes. And I think that's what they're talking about. If he's talking about their career or anyone's career, musicianship yeah. or whatever, it's finishing, you know, the, the finish line can't be the end. And many points, it's the beginning of the next race, whenever that race starts. You know, you can't just focus on, you have to focus on what you're doing at the time, but you can't lose sight of what you need to do next in order to, you know, keep running in, in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The burning need. It's uh, definitely, you got to have that to keep going there. Yep. Keeping your eyes on the prize. And then we get to the chorus, which is, which is awesome. From first to last, the peak is never passed. Something always fires the light that gets in your eyes. One moment's high and glory rolls on by like a streak of lightning that flashes and fades in the summer sky. Now that is poetry. I love that. Yeah. It's great. I love how the, the music changes mm-hmm. too. The keyboards kind of just lift you up into the sky, mm-hmm. like being held aloft on someone's shoulders after yep. winning. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's exactly the feeling you get listening to this. Exactly. What do you think the uh, fires, something always fires the light that gets in your eyes? What is, it feels, it comes across as being like a distraction. Something's always going to fire a light that gets in your eyes, like a streak of lightning, which is very quick. So what do you think? Maybe he has something to go with that. I always thought that, you know, if you see somebody who's passionate about something, you could say they have fire in their eyes. You know what I mean? Okay. Something like that. So the peak is never past. There's always something in your life that gives you inspiration that's going to fire. It's going to light the fire that people see in your eyes. Okay. Because I thought it was almost like as if this is, dist- I read this as, and I could be wrong. I think you may be onto it more than I do. Something always fires the light that gets in your eyes. Almost like a complaint. Something always gets in the way or not. I always thought it was something's always going to keep that flame burning in your eyes. Okay. So it's a positive thing. I was looking yeah. at the negative for some reason. Because the peak is never passed, right? From first to last, yes. the peak is never passed. And that's, I mean, we, we talk about Rush all the time, how they, Steve will always say something like, Rush is at their peak right now, but he says that with every album. Yeah, because <laughs> they have always been at their peak. That's when you think they can't get any better. They come out and they, for some ha- impossible reason, it's yeah. a it's better somehow. The peak is never past. It's always just the peak, and then one moment's high and glory rolls on by. Those be, would be the accolades that one one might get at the conclusion of any kind of run or an album or a tour or something like that. Those things are gone. You know, the glory, you get, you get a moment high and then the glory goes on by, but you can't, you can't live for those kinds of things. You know what I mean? Right. So like, say for example, like a glory thing or like a moment's high is that one of their album goes platinum Yeah. and Hey, it's great and everything, but we got to keep going. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's how I was looking at it. When it comes to like with fame, for example. Mm-hmm. So before we continue, I have another quote from Neil. This was an interview with Canadian composer in April, 1986. He said that marathon is about the triumph of time and a kind of message to myself because I think life is too short for all the things I want to do. 
Then he added, there's a self-admonition saying that life is long enough. You can do a lot. Just don't burn yourself out too fast trying to do everything at once. Marathon is a song about individual goals and trying to achieve them. It's also about the old Chinese proverb, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. All right, so we're done. Drop mic. (laughs) (laughs) It was nice talking to you, Derek. Let's go. Thanks. Thanks, Neil. Yeah. That's perfect. It's it's kind of like I I was imagining this. If that, you know, you hear about, uh, you know, other bands have gone to Broadway doing musicals. And the music of Rush was like a musical. And they made it into a musical, which I don't think is going to happen. But if there was a scene in which the hero is a high school student and goes to a guidance counselor thinking, what should I do with my life? <laughs> the guidance counselor would break out into this song. <laughs> I love that. Be handing him a bunch of pamphlets and singing yeah, the song. Yeah, it breaks out. Awesome. Yeah, the chorus in the background. He's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, thanks. Thanks. Thank you very much. So in that quote from Neil, he references the final, I guess, another bridge. You can do a lot in a lifetime if you don't burn out too fast. You can make the most of the distance. First, you need endurance. First, you've got to last. Right. And you notice how they say the fir- the, from first to last, and then he goes, first, you've got to last. Right. He plays on that meaning. Yep. And then they go into this crazy rush jam like they do on so many of their songs, which is freaking amazing. Yeah. And Alex's solo is like, he's like telling us, I feel as if Alex is like a storyteller in this song. He's telling us a story about his own idea of what marathon is through his guitar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's wonderful. And my favorite part of the song is at the end when, when you can hear the the choir singing in the background as as Getty's repeating the chorus, and it's just amazing, and it makes me think Rush should have done this with a choir live. How great would that have been? Well, I, I could swear this happened when I was when I saw them on Power Windows tour. I was really lucky. Um, I got to see them close up. I think I had like front second row seats thanks to someone I knew. He worked for a local record world and has a Ticketron outlet there. And I remember being close to, you know, the, the PA system above me. And I could swear that when this part of the song came on with the chorus, it was got louder and louder. Like you can hear distinctive voices really coming out as if, you know, this is the extended version or the unedited version of the chorus. And also this, I know the strings in, involved in here too. I think they're not mm-hmm. just the chorus here, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, and the other distinction I found with this song is at the, the last time that Getty sings like a streak of lightning, it sounds like it's overdubbed and I'm not sure if he's hmm. doing the overdub or it's somebody else joining him. It sounds a little different than the other ones when you listen to it. This album is so good. Yeah, I know. But you know, Steve, yeah. we, we missed a, we missed a verse. Oh no, I know. I just skipped to the end because uh, Neil mentioned it in his quote. Would you like to go through the next verse? Well, it's just about how to get back on track. If okay. you find yourself stumbling along the way. Would you like to do the honors? Yeah. Sure. Your meters may overload. You can rest at the side of the road. You can miss a stride, but nobody gets a free ride. 
maybe this is, you know, the time when I, in, in the song I reference when it comes to hitting a wall yeah. that you, you just feel as if you got to take a break and that's mm-hmm. okay. Yep. But you know, you got to get back into it. Absolutely. It's uh, you know, um, everybody is going to uh, experience some kind of hardship and it's really the test of your own personality, but whether or not you can keep going despite that hardship. Cause a lot of people don't, I mean, I've certainly been times in my life where I haven't, I've just given up on things only because they seem too hard at the time. But, you know, if you really want to do something like these guys do or marathoners do or ultra marathoners do, then, you know, if you hit a, a wall, just take a moment, recalibrate and start all over again. Yeah. I was just thinking about when it comes to it, like, as if rush, they're really lucky that they got to do what they love doing. Mm-hmm. And I think in itself for a career, it's, I, I find, I, I really commend people when they can figure out what they want to do with their lives and stick with it. That's not an easy thing to do. I think that uh, one of the hardest things, I think, in terms of figuring out what you want to do is identifying what you like. Right. Um, in my current career, figuring out what I want to do took such a long time. And I work with people as a therapist, what they want to do. Some people still don't know in their 20s, 30s, 40s. They don't have that vision they don't have that draw they well they wish they had the drive they knew what they want right but that's not easy to figure out sometimes no and especially when you're talking about uh, uh a creative enterprise with a few people like three people in a band who all want the same thing that seems so rare yes and it's similar you know when you were talking there derek i was thinking about the song mission you were basically quoting it right there <laughs> yeah it's true yeah, I was thinking uh, in some of this, like, you know, more than just a finish line, I'm thinking of, oh, this is the prime mover. The point of the journey is not to arrive. But, you know, it's, it's a little bit different there. But <laughs> I'm thinking, right, I thought of other songs too there. And uh, it kind of makes sense to cover those things. Right. It's such a great song. And I think when we were teenagers, I think we all got it. We knew this was about, this is supposed to be about running, but we know it's a lot more than just that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think he kind of made it easy for us to figure out what's going on in the song. And the one line that we didn't discuss, more than high performance, more than just a spark, more than just the bottom line, or a lucky shot in the dark in the long run. And we get into the chorus again. Yeah. Yeah, there's some, some cliches there, like the bottom line or a shot in the dark. It's not by luck. You can't do this by luck. He's kind of saying, let's eliminate that. And you really got to, it takes hard work. And that's like where some people think it looks easy what they do, but you don't know all the hard work that goes behind it. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, overnight successes have been doing it for 10 years before anybody really knows who they are. And all of a sudden, right. like, Oh wow. You came out of nowhere. And the person's like, mm, yeah, not really. <laughs> yeah. I've been in my basement. Yeah. Like that's with sports too. Um, some people you think are just, they're just gifted athletes. Um, and you don't realize there's some people who that takes a lot of hard work for them to do what they do. They make it look easy, but oh my gosh, like just like, like ballet, the way they jump right in ballet. Oh my God. That took years to do it that way to yeah. perfect it. And it looks, oh, it looks so, oh, they just make it look so easy. I know effortless. <laughs> it's amazing. So any other final thoughts before we wrap this up on marathon, Derek? To me, it's one of my favorite songs on the album. I think it's kind of Neil's way of saying, um, you know, it's sort of an idea. Okay. Here's my point of view about what life's like and being autobiographical, you know, revealing his opinion about it. 
Um, it kind of reminds me of the vein of Limelight. Okay, here's my life in terms of fame. This is where I think about it. And here's what I think about the whole process of what we're doing here. So any kind of rumors at the time of the band's going to break up, all you have to do is just look at this song and say, they're not going anywhere. Right. And they didn't. For a long time. Oh, yeah. So many years of rumors about them breaking up or something going wrong with the band. It's all a bunch of nonsense. And we're so thankful for that. Bunch of hooey. <laughs> we're thankful for that. And we're thankful for you, Derek, for joining us again here on the Rush yeah. Fancast. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. This was great again. So, Jared, that was fantastic. John and Derek were incredible. Yes. Great insights on songs. I love that. Make me think about things I hadn't thought about before. Yeah. So far, this was a great idea. You know, we did such a terrible job the first time around. <laughs> we figured we better get some other voices in here to talk about this album. You know, if this keeps on going as well as it's going, we may be out of a job completely. We'll just have other people talk, <laughs> talk about these songs. So Steve, there's one more thing I think we should talk about. I think I know what you're going to say. I know you know what I'm going to say. It's Jared Schofer, our guest from just a couple of weeks ago. He finished his trek across the United States of America. Amazing. So uh, yeah. today is Monday the 14th, right? So he finished on Friday the 11th. Yes. It took him 89 days to walk across the United States. That is an amazing accomplishment just amazing yeah three months on the road walking like 30 miles a day 34 miles a day something like that that's i was gonna say insane it's not insane he's he's a perfectly sane individual but it certainly it certainly is something you've got to set your mind to and and really get up every day and do and he was doing it for such a great great cause and he hit his goal he said on our show he wanted to hit thirty thousand dollars and he did well, he did, he did more than that. And more than that, right. The last time I checked, it was around $40,000. Yeah, he posted yesterday some photos of his finish. You know, he went to the beach and jumped in the water. Yeah. And he said last night it was up to $42,000. Oh, wow. Which is incredible. A lot of people, when he finished, I guess they were waiting for him to finish so they could donate and throw a bunch of money at him, and that's what they did. Right. And I just want to thank our listeners. So many of our listeners gave that $21.12 or more in some cases. Yes. So we really appreciate you helping Jared's cause out. And uh, it all goes to cancer research. So it's, it's a cause that we can all get behind for sure. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say is that uh, our listeners and Rush fans, they came out and they supported him after hearing him on the show, which is just absolutely fantastic. And the other thing is you can still donate to Jared's cause on Venmo. He's at Jared 2112, J-A-R-A-D 2112. And you can also find his Instagram page, same handle at Jared 2112. There's a link to his donation page. So if you want to still donate, there's still time to do that. It's never too late. I mean, he's just because he's done walking doesn't mean he's done raising money. So you can always give from now if you're listening to this two months from now you could still donate money to him he definitely is going to give it to the the charity so that's great so what we're going to do in the in the next week or so we're going to get on the phone with jared again and we'll bring him back to talk for a few minutes and he could tell us how the finish went right tell him how he's nursing those blisters on his feet 
Oh God, I can't even imagine. I thought of so many questions after we got off with him last time. Right. How many sneakers do you think he went through? Oh, I don't know. I mean, there's no way you walk for 89 days and don't go through like 20 pairs of sneakers, right? Right. Write that question down. <laughs> it's going to be my first question. How many models did you stop in to buy sneakers? Right. How many, how many pairs of Dr. Scholl's inserts did he use to cushion those, <laughs> cushion the walking? Anyway, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are at The Rushcast. Email Jerry. Let him know what you thought of our conversations about Manhattan Project and Marathon at therushcast at gmail.com. Subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast app that ensures you get the episode every Monday, like clockwork. Like clockwork. Lex did the open and close, baseline, marathon. He's fantastic. And Jared, I hope you have a quote for me. I do. You can do a lot in a lifetime if you don't burn out too fast. You can make the most of the distance. First, you need endurance. First, you've got to last. And we lasted. We made it to the end of the episode, at least. <laughs> I know. Can you believe it? <laughs> I can't believe it. Thanks, Jared. All right. See you, Steve.